The Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Miles Danhausen Jr. And today I'm joined by Deborah Fitzgerald. Deb, thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Again, it's always the, so much fun. <laughs> the only time I ever call you Deborah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, today we are got a couple of news topics. We'll make this one short and sweet for you listeners because we are putting a paper out today and Deb's got to get back to editing and proofing it. But we did want to get everyone some information. One, there's a a childcare bombshell that's dropped on the county that we're going to talk about a little later in the show. But we're going to start with a little bit on some tax implications and some changes in the town of Gibraltar that, Deb, you covered for this week's paper. Yes, it actually happened last Monday, but the week before Thanksgiving, we had a very early deadline. That was fun. Remember that? That was last (laughs) Monday. The paper normally goes over on Wednesday, and we sent it over on Monday because of the holidays. So their meeting was Monday evening, and so it was after our paper came out. but Mm -hmm. So it's in this week's paper, which is the December 1 issue. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. It's like, all right, we do have to do Thanksgiving. We got a lull. It's like, it's really like a week and then everything goes nuts. Exactly. I don't even think it's a week because anymore you have to mail everything out by December 11 in order to get to places where it needs to go. Yeah. So I think it's just, it's here. It's already here. And notice how excited we all sound. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, we're we're pumped. (laughs) Anyway, so. (laughs) So the town of Gibraltar, which those who have been paying attention, or if, if you live in the town of Gibraltar, you've probably been paying closer attention. They instituted a kind of innovative way to help pay for roads. I think like a year ago, a year and a half ago, they started talking about it. It was a year ago, yeah, a year and a half ago. They adopted this ordinance called the traffic utility fee. And it basically treats roads like a utility and charges people for usage of roads. What everybody liked about it is that it charged everybody. So that meant any of the nonprofit organizations or state parks or the school district, which are normally exempt from property taxes, were not exempt from this. They paid as well. So it had support because of that. But then the Supreme Court struck down a similar program in the town of Buchanan. Mm. And that happened in June of this year. And so that really brought it to the attention of the Gibraltar Town Board. Well, let's backtrack a little bit. Yeah. One, just to clarify, you said it charged everybody, everybody who's a property owner, right? So it's not like a yes. random visitor is is getting some sort of toll that they're paying, right? They did so not build a toll. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, yeah. the pr- property owners were all getting assessed this. And then this Supreme Court case, it was struck down in the town of Buchanan based on what? They said that it was illegal. Okay. That it pretty much circumvented the ability to ask town voters for that kind of money. So it circumvented the property tax. I was going to say, so shortest terms is like, they're just calling a tax a different name. Yes. And so that was shot down by the Supreme Court. And so it was brought to the attention of the town board in a different kind of way. But really, it had been brought to their attention prior to that because Tom Birmingham, who is now a a town board supervisor, ran on eliminating that traffic utility fee. 
And the chair of the Gibraltar Town Board, Steve Soans, didn't vote for it because of the same reasons, basically, that the Supreme Court shut it down. And so, this all comes up because Town of Gibraltar, like every other municipality in existence in Wisconsin right now, is struggling to pay for roads, roads and sidewalks and things like that. So this is a way to charge some money to, I think it was going to generate, what, about 400000 more a year? Every year, $400,000. Okay. So you set it according with how much money that you want to raise. And they decided to set $400,000 that that would be a good amount to be able to have a robust road program. To keep up with road replacement, which generally towns, in my experience in listening to engineers talk about this, they generally look for like a 20 to 25 year replacement cycle for roads is like the, the long end of what a road will last. So I know the city of Sturgeon Bay, when they were, and they're still grappling with this, for 10 years now trying to to find money to upgrade their roads. That's why they investigated a Pratt tax a mm-hmm. few years ago, weren't able to do it. But they were looking at more like a 30 to 35 year replacement level f- or schedule for their roads, which means those last 10 years, that road is just a pothole, cracked up mess of a road. Unless so that, they use concrete, which is more expensive. Yeah. And so that's that deal. Yeah. So, all right. So there's some of the background for it. Yeah, and now even the most unexciting <laughs> road project costs like a million dollars. It yeah, seems like every project costs a million dollars. It's so, so expensive now. Yeah. Every municipality deals with this. And so this was one creative way that the town of Gibraltar wanted to handle it. And yet now they really want to do away with it because they believe that legislative oversight is going to come down on the program or lawsuits or something worse. So yeah. they, they really want to eliminate it. And yet they don't want to eliminate a funding source <laughs> for roads because they were pretty excited about having this money to be able to do things. So they wanted to go to the taxpayers and ask them if they could put $400,000 on the tax levy to pay for roads and, and just earmark it for roads. And apparently there were, you know, well, more than 100 people who showed up for that town meeting on November twenty. And they voted it down, and the vote was 71 to 37. So it wasn't even really close. Mm. Apparently, when I spoke with Travis Tyson, who is the town administrator, and Steve Soans, who is the town board chair, they pretty much took the same things away from the meeting, which is that people thought that they should slow down and not worry about urbanizing Fish Creek, as they called it, as much as they are, and they wanted them to really look at the budget a lot more closely and do some things that Steve at least said that he felt like they hadn't done. Hmm. So he didn't even vote for it, he said. So they are going to take another look at their budget. They're going to just pass what the state allows them to increase their levy by, and that meeting is December 11th. So, So now they have to take up the issue of the traffic utility fee. And Steve told me that they are going to do away with it. Mm. It's now just a matter of, do they wean themselves off it by charging? Because people would pay it in two installments. So they pay $200,000 at first of the year and then $200,000 later. So they might just collect that first $200,000. Not individually paying (laughs) $200,000. That's the whole town. (laughs) Right. So they might do that. But that is yet to be decided. So that was... You know, kind of interesting because whenever it seems like whenever you go outside the box with trying to create a way to come up with money to be able to do the things that people 
expect to have in their municipalities, there always seems to be something wrong with them, you know, which is kind of disheartening. When, yeah. You know, every creative way, like Sturgeon Bay tried to do the premier resort area tax. They looked at, can we do a wheel tax? They, there's so many things that just end up being either. No, you can't do them because it's like uh, your residents won't go for it or no, you can't do it because the state won't let you do it. You know, the state's our legislature more or less repeatedly has ways of saying you will not have local control. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, seriously, that, yeah. that seems to be the case. And when you think about it, especially in a tourist area, there almost should be some different legislation that covers roads because we have so many people who come in from outside and that's such a big part of the industry. And yet still just maintaining these roads is it's put on the backs of the municipalities and they have way more traffic. Think about it. Like the town of Gibraltar has a population of about 1200 people. And so you wouldn't think that the roads would deteriorate that much with that many residents, but how many people go to Peninsula state park a sure. million every uh, year. I mean, in, in a given night you have 450 campsites there. Mm -hmm. So the population of Peninsula State Park is one of, you know, on a busy day, it's probably the second most populous municipality in Door County. Yeah. Just the park. Right. And they have, I think their latest numbers were 935,000 people who visited in 2022, I want to mm. say. So when you have that many more people using the roads, then obviously they're going to deteriorate a lot more quickly. And yet there's no special, there's no special program to... Well, what Gibraltar found out when they redid their highway a few years ago, the main downtown stretch, what they hadn't fully accounted for, they had talked about it a little bit, but I don't think they realized how much that by closing the main highway and sending all the truck traffic and bus traffic and all the other traffic on their back roads, which are not built to the same standard as a highway or a county road, their feeder roads, if you will, took a beating. Mm. So it accelerated the replacement schedule of many roads in the town just because they were bypassing. Village of Ephraim saw the same thing happen when they did their highway project, but they had anticipated that a little bit better, and they had already negotiated with the state where they were going to pay to repave some of those side roads that were being used as a detour. Sister Bay saw the same thing happen years ago when they did their highway. It crushed Woodcrest because all the traffic and heavy trucks go on these roads that are not built to be heavy truck traffic roads. Mm -hmm. So that is one thing when you see all these towns do these highway projects, it'll be something that Bailey's Harbor will have to grapple with in a few years whenever they redo the highway here is these side ancillary roads will will take the burden. And Egg Harbor, the village of Egg Harbor, uh, Egg they're Harbor starting well. theirs in January. I'll be curious to see what happens to Church Street in Egg Harbor, yeah. which they just built. Mm -hmm. If you take a year to two years of all of your truck traffic and you can detour them. You can tell them that the detour is a, some county trunk road somewhere else. Sure. You, you'll be lucky if 50% of your traffic uses that, right? You know, locals and people who know their way are going to go the shortest route possible. Absolutely. I mean, with that detour, for instance, the first time I saw it, I thought, seriously? I'm not, there's no way I'm going to use that detour. <laughs> no way. So, so even if they don't, if they're able to build their roads out for, you know, like you said, for 25 years then they must be able to build them for a certain amount of anticipated traffic. So even in a place like Gibraltar, if they anticipate that they're going to have 935,000 visitors, then it's going to be more expensive to build the road even, right. you know? I learned that when Ephraim was talking about their north end path, that doing a path off of the road is far cheaper than just doing a wider shoulder. Because if you do a wider shoulder on a highway, you have to build it to highway standards. Mm. 
So the whole project becomes a lot more expensive. Okay. Whereas if you built a multimodal path off the highway outside of the right of way or disconnected from the highway itself, you can actually build it at a much lower level of, you know, because you're only going to support bikes and walkers. You don't need a huge base to do that and have something that holds up for 25, 30, 45 years. But if you build a road or a highway, it has to be built with this massive base with a bunch of material, which is more labor and all these things that just rise, send the cost skyrocketing. Yeah. I want to backtrack to something that kind of cracked me up and I was having to, having to hold myself back from chuckling when you said it, <laughs> when they said, we'll have to take a closer look at the budget because I'm thinking of town of Gibraltar. If any town micromanages their budget, mm. it would be the town of Gibraltar already. So it's, mm. I don't know how they can actually look close. Like, I don't know if they can get a better magnifying glass to look closer well, you because know, it's, they <laughs> literally go like line by line, like cans of paint. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't necessarily do that anymore. Ever since Travis has been okay. there, they do prepare the budget more in advance and he goes through, you know, and presents it kind of the way the city of Sturgeon Bay does. But it's interesting that you say that because Steve said, Steve Stones, a uh, town board chair said he did not vote for it because they were put on the spot by some people who showed up for the meeting who said, have you looked at every single part of the budget? And can you say honestly that it is as small as you can possibly make it? And he said, no, I don't think we could. I don't think we did. And I said, well, give me an example. What can you do? And he said, well, for instance, their Hill Street Bluff Lane Road project that just started this week that was going to be paid by the traffic utility fee, it came in $40,000 under. So they can take that $40,000 and they can put that towards something. And then he said there was some carryover money, but it only amounts to about $70,000. So it's not like... It's doing and something else anything. is going to go over budget, right? Like, right. I mean, so it's and not, Hill Street's not done yet. Yeah. I mean, so. <laughs> oh, right. I mean, Hill Street is just starting. You yeah. know, Hill Street and Bluff Lane, and that's a million, a little over a million dollar project, and that's a complete reconstruction. So they were planning on using the traffic utility fee for that, and if they don't, they'll have to borrow. And if they have to borrow, of course, at rates the way they are right now, that's just so unattractive. And as but. we've talked about before, these these caps on municipalities. They can borrow outside of those caps. So you incentivize municipalities to borrow and spend money on interest rather than yeah. just the capital cost. So. Right. So anyway, that was, so they have to figure out what they're going to be doing in Gibraltar, but it was an experiment and it didn't look like it really lasted, but <laughs> it was fun while it, while it lasted. Yeah. They're able now, to now raise Also, a lot of these people who are saying like, oh, don't urbanize, don't do this. Two years from now one of us is going to be at a town meeting and people are going to be like, what are we doing about our roads? Oh. The very same people are going to show up at a meeting and say, my road needs paving. Right. It's the same thing that happened with like you know, the Redmond property when everyone voted against it. And then, and everyone was saying, well, this way we control the property. Otherwise they can do this massive development up there. And then once the development started happening two years later, people who voted against it were emailing us saying, you should do a story about this. They're building on that property. It's like, I don't know how many stories I can do to get this across. <laughs> so Right. Well, they should just let some roads go to gravel and see what happens then. Yeah. I mean, if you've ever lived in a gravel road, believe me. I did. It is not fun. They, they only paved the road by my dad's house like maybe eight or nine years ago on Heritage really? Lake Road. And yeah, you know, just big puffs of Oh my sand gosh. And gravel. Yes, especially in the summer, you know, the always the clouds of dust anyway. Oh, especially when the, the, the volunteer firemen, I mean, my dad was one, when the pager would go off. I mean, we'd be out in the yard playing football and you're just like, all right, waiting for the, 
for the neighbor, all the other volunteers to come in from the outskirts of town, come flying down our road, blow through the stop sign, hit the gravel, and you just just smoke. I'm like, I hope nobody's walking down there because they're not going to be able to see anything. It's like a sandstorm. Anyway. Well, speaking of pagers, there was an emergency in West Jacksonport recently, and I think we have something about it in this week's paper. It has to do with child care. How do you like that for a transition? That is an incredible segue. Nice Thank work. you. So we are going to talk about child care in West Jacksonport in just a moment right after the break. The Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwani counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org slash careers. All right, we're back. And we're talking childcare. Yes. Big hurdle thrown in the mix. Right. So this happened in West Jacksonport, which is really interesting because it's so off the beaten path. I think I passed it one time when I didn't want to go the traditional route on the way home. And so I took T. I think it's on T, isn't it? If you go... County V. County V. All right. I know I passed it and I thought... There's a child care center out here <laughs> yeah, right? because it looks like it's in the middle of a farm. Yeah. And I mean, it's really kind of cool. But anyway, you got an email from somebody who, who said, hey, heads up on this. What's happening? So what did you find out? Well, actually, it was a text from one of our writers, Sally Collins, who was she's got a, a young child just like me. And so she texted me and said, hey, just so you know, there it sounds like. Zion's Early Childhood Education Center is potentially closing. And there's like a lot of families that are scared. And I've been in that situation where you didn't have childcare for a little bit and it, it sends you into hours of trying to figure out how the heck you're going to work and get this done. And we've covered this before. Sturgeon Bay had an abrupt closure of the Barker Child Care Center three, four years ago. Yeah, that um, was in 2020, I want to say. Sent families into yep. crisis and, and had people looking for other jobs and moving out of the area. And this is a similar story, a little bit smaller, but still a large segment of our childcare providing is done at what this is. So I, I'm guessing a lot of our listeners don't even know this exists. There's, it's called Zion Lutheran School. Uh, it's been there 40 some years. As a kid, I knew about it because my dad drove the school bus and part of the route was to take some kids over to this school that was, it's just a small building on a farm. Mm -hmm. Literally, like there's, it's bordered by silos and, and right. fields. And it's in the middle of nowhere. And it, by all rights, so you're like, what the heck is this yes. doing out here? Because the church isn't located there. The church is down the road right. on County T. So anyway, that's why I know about it. And then I, you know, kids would go there through eighth grade. And then most of them ended up going to Sevastopol. But some, some of them would also go to Gibraltar once they went into high school. But 12 years ago, the school also added a child care center. And the purpose for that was, A, they had a lot of people who needed child care. And B, they thought... We're dwindling school. We're getting smaller. We need to, if we add child care, one, we fulfill this need for our congregation and other families in the community because it's not just limited to the congregation. But we get them in here. They are exposed to our school. Maybe they will enroll in the school for K through eighth grade and we'll increase enrollment as, as families just get used to and, and learn to like what we do here at, for educationally and people looking for a religious education. So that was kind of the, the backstory. I didn't really know a lot of that backstory until embarking on this 
story. Mm -hmm. So that's the groundwork for it. What happened is they abruptly dismissed their director of the early child care center. And when they did that, two other employees left. How and many when, employees did they have I think they had full time? Six to eight, if okay. you count like some part time. That sounds about right. And when that happened, you know, they don't, they, you lose half your staff. They almost immediately had to inform several families that, or about half of their families, that they were not going to be able to have childcare there anymore. That was the end of October. And then just last week, they informed the rest of them that with just the three staffers, their congregation voted to close the child care center and get out of the child care business as of December 22nd. Wow. And that's 60 children? 60 children. I'm not sure how many families, because some of those families sure. have two or three kids, but very suddenly and out of nowhere, don't have child care. And where else do they go? Aren't there waiting lists on the two other big ones in, in Door County? There is a 20 to 25 person waiting list at Northern Door Children's Center. There is a 90-child waiting list for the Sturgeon Bay, what is now called the Door County Child Development Center. And In even Sebastopol when they, near the Culver's, that's the yeah. one that's being constructed right now. Yeah. Okay. And when that one opens, if they open fully staffed, that will open up a lot of spots and hopefully fill some of that gap. But at most, it could be 67 more kids in that. Hmm. That still leaves 30 people on their waiting list before anyone from Zion is added to it. Mm -hmm. So you're taking 60 more kids and throwing them into this this mix. I talked to Amy Conley from the United Way. They have been working on this problem for even before the Barker closed. And that was the one in Sturgeon Bay that is now moving to Sevastopol into a new building. Correct. And it created a lot of awareness. I remember that. I had just returned to the county when you got that story that it was going to be closing and people truly were panicked. But yeah. I remember that as being a very pivotal event that brought awareness to exactly how difficult it was to find childcare in Door County. Absolutely. It opened up business owners and philanthropists' eyes to where this gap really was. Because unless you have a kid, and I'm guilty of this too, you hear people talking about childcare or this wait list and you're like, yeah, that's what happens when you have a kid. And it's true. Mm -hmm. Like you have a kid, it's a choice. Not everybody has a child. So when you choose to have a child, you are you embarking on this journey that the world is not always perfect for you, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, I understand why people who don't have a kid don't have the same awareness of it. Sure. But where it started to hit employers is like, all right, even if we acknowledge that, we do need employees and our employees have kids and we need to have them able to get daycare so we can employ them and right. get our job done and sell our products. And that's where it started to really hit people. I remember talking to Brian Stevens and the Door County Medical Center. Brian Stevens is a director at Door County Medical Center. And he, he was like, we have to do something about this because we can't afford to lose any of our staff. We're struggling to find new people, let alone lose the people we already have, even if it's seven or 10 or 15 people who may have to move out of the area because they can't get childcare, let alone recruit the new ones that we still need who will need childcare. Right. So they stepped in to help solidify the childcare situation in Sturgeon Bay at the time. And then United Way has done a ton. They've, they've brought in $3.5 million in ARPA funds to help support the expansion of the local childcare centers and educate more teachers, which is the next big step. And as you're doing that, now you lose 60 spots. Right. Just Amy Conley from United Way was just so dejected when I talked to her because she's like, man, you, you think you're making progress and then suddenly you've got to backtrack to refill all of this and figure it out. Yeah. And one of the things I thought was really, it's a good story, and it is in the December 1 issue of the Peninsula Pulse, is Jason Bieri, who is on the board of Lutheran 
Yeah, he is the treasurer Zion at uh, Zion for the congregation, okay. which oversees the, the daycare center. And he made some good points and a huge paradox that I've always wondered about, which is, you know, how can childcare be so expensive when childcare workers are paid so little? I know that that has changed somewhat, but... I think he made points in the story about how can anybody even afford this anymore? And that's what he was saying. Because I asked him, I go, well, did you guys consider just raising rates and seeing if your congregation would pay for it? And I'm sure some would. Hopefully no one from the Northern Door Children's Center is listening to this, but like I'd pay more because I need to. (laughs) Like um, My wife and I both work full time and we need to work full time, Mm -hmm. but not everybody. To pay for your child's care. Yeah, right. <laughs> like not everybody makes enough that they can hand that the balance is very thin. Right. And for most people, it doesn't work at any time. But if you want a career and both spouses want a career and want to be able to afford a home in Door County, then you have you have to keep that job going. You can't just take four hours or four years off while your kids and growing up until you get them into school. And then expect to continue matriculating in your career, you know. Mm-hmm. So, or expect to have a, a well-adjusted child, or or that <laughs> yes, or a well-adjusted adult. Right. Um, the so you're stuck in this, and it just doesn't work. The math yeah. doesn't work anywhere. And for Zion, they were losing in the winter, especially when they have to pay for more heating costs and everything. Seven hundred to a thousand dollars a week, they were losing every week. So they needed to come up with a way to cover that shortfall, and they hadn't. They were not able to figure that out in the short term, and so you know they can't carry that. And the congregation in the past has helped cover that loss, mm. and the congregation just said, like, we can't continue to do this. That was kind of astonishing to me when I when I read that that yeah. they were the ones that were were funding that. And they're also in a weird spot because they're a parochial school, yeah, which benefits them in some ways because. As a parochial school, as you're operating a daycare, you don't have to, you aren't held to some of the same building code standards as Northern Door Children's Center or the Door County Child Development Center in Sturgeon mm-hmm. Bay. And I don't mean to imply in any way that those buildings aren't safe. It's just like how the codes are written. Parochial mm-hmm. schools don't have to do some of the same things. And so if they wanted to bring in a third party provider, so if they want to just lease that building, to somebody who would operate it and run a daycare there, but wasn't the parochial school. Now that building suddenly needs about a hundred thousand. That was mm. their guess in upgrades and wow. knowing construction costs. Now I'm, I'm guessing that's on the low end. Mm-hmm. So you have to bring it up to all these codes that it didn't have to meet before. So they benefit in a sense that they don't have to do some of those things that another center would have, but they don't benefit from the fact that as a parochial school, they are not eligible for some of the same grants and federal Mm. and state funding that those other places are eligible for. So they didn't, it's this push pull. So they're stuck in a, in a particularly weird spot out there. But Jason Bieri did say, and I asked him if, you know, do you want me to quote you on this? Because like, this is a strong statement, but he said, yes, I am confident that next summer or next fall, there will be some sort of childcare operated out of this building because it's located on a farm in West Jacksonport. What else is that building going to be used for? I'm glad you mentioned that because that was the thing that stuck in my mind, that he did seem very confident that placement was going to be found. And he said he's confident in that because, A, what else are we going to do with that building? Like even it used to be a K through eight school. Now they're just doing K4 and K5, so four-year-old and five-year-old kindergarten there. And if they're not doing the child care center, like it's just kind of an empty building. The problem is they can't figure out the money in the short term. But he said over the winter, over the next six months, going into next summer, I'm confident we can figure something out or maybe a new provider will come along 
who can get the money to make those upgrades in the building, but you just can't do it in two weeks. And we couldn't continue to string these parents along and also financially string our congregation along. Mm. So, well, that's the good that's news. The that's the good a news. Silver lining. Who knows what? And and as Amy Conley said, the huge gap in daycare in the county already a huge gap of it was the central door area. You have one in Sister Bay, you have one in Sturgeon Bay. You didn't have with Zion that filled that middle gap. Yeah. And if that goes away, think of how big that gap is now. There are already a lot of parents like Melanie Ramirez, who I spoke to for the article, who used to, I, I used to see her at uh, daycare in Sister Bay at drop-off all the time. And she just got in, and this is one of the saddest parts of this whole story. On October 16th, she finally got a spot that opened up at Zion. She lives in Sevastopol. She had been driving her kids because she really liked Northern Door Children's Center, but she had been driving from Sevastopol to Sister Bay every day. Finally got in at Zion, cut down her commute tremendously, which for any parent, anybody, any adult is like, buy me time. I'll take Mm -hmm. that over money, right? For a parent, that's even bigger. And two weeks later, October 16th, no indication that anything was going to happen there. And then two weeks later, she finds out they're closing. Mm. And now she's back to square one, getting on the wait list, the bottom of the list in Sister Bay or the bottom of the list in Sister Bay. And there are how many other parents just like her in that situation now? Such a tough spot. Right. Well, it was a good story and you brought, you know, some awareness to it. So maybe, maybe that will produce some interim arrangements or some kind of solution until they can figure out what to do with that building. Yeah. I mean, it took a crisis for, for something to happen in Sturgeon Bay. Maybe the same thing happens here. In Sturgeon Bay, they were lucky enough that one of the workers at the center, Alexis Fuller, just stepped up and she and her sister, Bridget Starr, said, we can fix this. And we don't know all the ropes. We don't know how the funding works. We don't know administration, but we'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. And that may be what needs to happen here is somebody steps up and says, I'm going to do something that I never knew I could do. Right. Excellent. All right. We'll read all about it <laughs> in this week's Pulse. And I think well, we, we have, have one more thing we want to talk about. Ho, ho, ho. It's tax season time. <laughs> yeah. <No. laughs> you made it so fun. <laughs> it's tax bill time, we should say. So we also have a story on this week's Pulse that will talk about the different municipalities that have gone through a revaluation and what that means for property taxes. And the reason why we have the story in this week's paper is because the Door County Treasurer's Office is, is folding and stuffing 43,000 tax bills as we speak. Your pause there was timely. I thought for a moment, I'm like, they're folding? (laughs) We don't have to pay taxes. Well, that's what I said. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. Yeah. (laughs) So the bills are coming out. They'll start arriving in people's mailboxes, and then we'll start getting the emails from people who are very angry about their tax bills. Yeah, absolutely. And it will be, you know, they're not due until January 31st, or if it's two installments, January and July. But Really, the time to talk to your municipality about that has passed. <laughs> and then in April, that's when you can also talk about your assessed value of your home. And this gives us a chance to plug the second podcast we'll be releasing this week. And that yes. is a conversation you had that will hopefully explain how those tax bills and how those assessments came to be. Yes. I spoke with an assessor who does a lot of work up here for about seven municipalities and and he's going to illuminate this whole process. He's able to speak about it in ways that 
anybody can understand, I promise you. So Well, that's a rare skill. I've yes, it is. <laughs> so especially when it comes to taxes and revaluations and market values and equalized values and all of these other things that essentially mean the same thing, but are, right. you know, called different words. <laughs> so he will also fill us in on what it means if your property value rises, which most properties will. Yeah. That's really interesting, actually, that part of the conversation. So be sure to check that out. All right. Well, Deb, thanks for joining me today. Let's get back to proofing the paper and getting this one out the door. Awesome. And uh, thank you to all our listeners for chiming in again today. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. This podcast is produced by Miles Danhausen Jr. and edited by Rachel Lucas. If you want to help us continue to create more great episodes just like this one, visit our website at doorcountypulse.com. Thank you.